But what AI can do is identify a particular type of hay in a haystack, which is incredibly, incredibly hard to do, even with advanced analytical technologies that we used to have five, seven, ten years ago. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sunny Side Up podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Conway. And today, I'm super excited to talk to Vinod on AI and emerging topics around trends and analytics and AI within Mark technology. But first, kind of a, just a little overview of Vinod Kumar. He's an e-commerce product leader who's been working at the intersection of commerce and da- data for over a decade. Currently, head of business intelligence at Salesforce Commerce Cloud, where he builds products and deliver industry-leading benchmarks to customers' insights. He's also a small business owner. He's owned a coffee shop on the North Shore in Massachusetts, a business that successfully navigated COVID and is now actually expanding to new locations. Welcome, Vinod. Thank you, Kieran. Happy to be here. Excellent. Happy to have you here. Uh, especially happy to talk about kind of our first topic, which is really a very interesting topic that our, you know, we hear a lot. And that's around kind of the emerging trends and intersection of AI, using AI and analytics within MarTech. Can you explain a little bit about kind of how you've seen uh, within that intersection in your current role and you know, experience today? Yeah, absolutely. I'm happy to dive a little bit deeper into that. Uh, AI has been evolving in interesting ways the past decade or so. Clearly, it has been in the technological zeitgeist for the past five years, at least, in, an, in a very active fashion. Uh, but it's been evolving in a very interesting way over the past decade or so. And and, it, and this applies not just in MarTech. MarTech is, I think, one of the leading adopters of AI-based technologies. Uh, but it's generally applicable to e-commerce, fintech, and other adjacent industries, healthcare, and so on and so forth. The, the best analogy I can think of that explains what happening, what's happening in AI adoption is the, is the adoption of, of electricity back in the industrial age. If you go back, if you turn back time and look at how the, uh, the adoption of electricity as a utility came about, when the notion of generated power was created for the first 10, 15 years, the adoption was still happening in smaller, small pockets of, of industry. Factories were creating their own proprietary power generation mechanisms, a reason why factories are located mostly along riverbanks so that big turbines can be created that generate their own power. The notion of a power grid didn't exist, and uh, the adoption didn't really spread into the general public. It was just in certain pockets. Essentially, the producers of the technology were also using the output of what it was creating for them. But fast forward 15, 20 years, the concept of when the concept of the grid came about, the concept of centralized power generation came about, and electricity was then starting to enter homes of individuals. The way in which electricity was being used changed. It changed the way people constructed their homes. It changed the way factories were built. You did not have, you did not need to have your biggest machine located right next to your power source. The machines could be distributed across a wider space. Uh, homes could be architected in different ways because electricity could be transported now. 
And, and it really affected, impacted how factories are constructed, homes are constructed. The, the impact of that adoption affected other industries and industry changed. Industries changed, the boundaries of industries changed because of this technology permeating across multiple segments. I believe what's happening with AI is is very similar to how that how electricity was adopted in a much wider fashion. If we turn back time just maybe 10, 15 years ago, AI, what I call the spectrum of utility, AI was being adopted by the creators primarily. AI was created by AI engineers and data scientists, and they were the ones using that technology. Over the past decade or so, that technology sort of traveled to the continuum of utility, and it started getting adopted by engineers, as in people who are technically savvy in that area about the subject matter, but were not necessarily creators of AI. So these are your general developers, programmers, people who may or may not be necessarily be part of the AI movement, but the technology progressed enough that general developers could start adopting the technology. And I believe that's where the adoption curve is today as we speak in MarTech. And, and case in point, there are you, you start to see AI marketplaces emerging. Marketplaces where developers can publish a model, buy an AI model, apply that within their own world, and apply to their specific use case. Um, so that's happening. Companies like Salesforce are exposing AI technology for develop for developers to develop around. Developers can develop features around AI. And obviously, organizations like Salesforce and Google, Facebook are are doing a lot of things in this area to make the technology more accessible. The ethical aspects are separate. That's a completely separate issue. It's a it's probably a separate matter for a different podcast episode. But that's where I believe the technology is today. But if we sort of time travel a little bit, and if we fast forward five years, and if we put on the lens of drawing lessons from the electricity stories, where I believe this is going to go is the, the, the utility of this technology is going to travel closer towards the business user, effectively changing the way business processes are being executed, business functions are getting done, and eventually the way businesses work fundamentally. Because today, in, there, are, there are pockets where this is visible already. I can speak to e-commerce because I've been in the e-commerce technology world since forever. Today, a simple example, the ability to drive product recommendations. If you're looking at a particular product on a website, usually there's a window right below the product that says, we recommend that you look at these following products. Right? And that is, there's no individual sitting in a retailer's office trying to assign manually recommended products for product X. But technology is making our lives easier. And, and now AI is being leveraged to understand who the shopper is. And given what we understand about the shopper and what we understand about the shoppers of this kind, uh, what can we recommend it to them? That is a simple example of how AI has changed the way a merchandiser would work within the context of a retailer. Now, you can hypothesize and speculate, take that example forward and think of situations where a merchandiser or a marketer is focused on doing a certain function and they are struggling with either spending too much time and doing something that's totally monotonous, like assigning product ID A to product ID B, or something a little bit more complex, like trying to understand their marketing mix and if that marketing mix is optimized or not. 
And in these two areas, today, people are, to some extent, struggling to make things happen, either because it's laborious or it's complex. In this space, and this spectrum of laborious to complex, is where I think AI is going to go to really change the working lives of the marketing profession, the marketing professionals specifically in the future. Yeah, it's a just interesting analogy comparing electricity. And I think, you know, using a similar analogy, right, in B2C space is kind of an electric car right now. And the electric and B2B historically has been still riding a horse and buggy and catching up to that ability to use product recommendations like you do as a consumer online and you go online and say, how did they know I was interested in that popping up? B2B is catching up. You know, we're, we're maybe in that first Ford Model T or, you know, gas car, but we're, we're definitely catching up to B2C and using AI and machine learning to make those what we call product recommendations, the B2B space. Do you see that in your everyday too? Kind of um, all areas, B2C and B2B, kind of using AI to be very relevant because our customers, whether it's a consumer or a business, kind of expects that now in this digital world we live in. Yeah, and, and I certainly agree with that last statement. The customer or the consumer, depending on whether you're talking B2B or B2C, there's definitely an expectation of this type of an experience, right? And today, personally, as individuals, I don't think we draw the line between a B2C experience and a B2B experience. I believe that all experiences are being consumerized right now. Our expectations from a B2B company, from a B2B context, is actually influenced and driven by what we see in the B2C context. If we are used to a smooth smartphone experience where photos can be scrolled with a swing of a thumb, we sort of want that experience in the B2B context as well because we are starting to get conditioned that there's no separation as far as the experience is concerned. So you're right in that a B2B is catching up, but I believe that B2B is catching up really, really fast. It's only a matter of time because B2B professionals are seeing it. It is becoming more evident and there is um, propensity to adopt to bring that type of experience to consumers is increasing. And this type of technology is is be- becoming part of the B2B MarTech landscape in a more increasing fashion. I can certainly see that in my uh, small business experience. Like you mentioned in my introduction, I own a coffee shop. It's in uh, Stoneham, Massachusetts. It's the only independent mom and pop coffee shop in the, pa- in the town center of Stoneham, Massachusetts. So it's hard wow. to miss. So we obviously buy a lot of things from a lot of vendors, right? And um, one of the things we buy is uh, Coca-Cola products. And we have a refrigerator that is stocked with Coca-Cola beverages, bottled waters, and so on. And we need to buy that at a predefined cadence. There is a specific schedule that we have to buy. And the cadence changes. Summer months, obviously, uh, soft drinks and cold drinks sell faster than in winter months. Even though in New England, ice cream consumption skyrockets in January. I have no idea why. But soft drinks consumption does spike in, or actually this weekend, the 4th of July weekend. So when we buy from Coca-Cola, and Coca-Cola is a great example of a company that's adopting, uh, that's modernizing, even in, in a B2B scenario. Now, we are a buyer. And when we buy from Coca-Cola, when we use their online storefront to make our purchase. We log in using our supplier number and whatnot so that we can manage our invoices online. We're buying and we get recommendations. We see what 
we need to buy. And we see some of the suggestions out there that help shape our decisions in terms of what to buy and what not to buy. And, and more, more certainly, these companies, this particular company uh, specifically, uh, is thinking about how they can make the lives, the, the purchasing process a lot easier. Again, thinking of the, the laborious, the, the labor-intensive work versus the complex work, this is labor-intensive. Given a choice, as a business owner, I would minimize the time that I spend in reordering inventory. It's the time that's taken away from me interacting with my customer, which is my main obligation slash responsibility. Right. So companies like Coca-Cola are adopting AI technology to reduce the, the, the laborious nature of inventory reordering, of thinking of what other products I need to be stocking up with, and so on. So certainly... The, the use case does translate very seamlessly between B2C and B2B. It's interesting. There's actually an operational efficiency aspect to that too, right? Um, by allowing those things to almost automate and answer themselves based on trends and patterns, like when to order Coca-Cola products in your coffee shop, that allows you to do more things you want to do, which is engage with the customer or grow your business or help ultimately drive exactly. revenue at the company so exactly drive revenue at the company and i think you've hit the nail on the head the analogy i use to describe uh the impact of ai the job that ai does is the the flying the airplane analogy if i'm the business owner and flying the airplane is my business then ai can either be my co-pilot and tell me what to do given a set of circumstances or what you just described be my autopilot if the going is smooth and all I need to do is take the plane on a straight line, on a straight plane, then AI can do that for me. So in this case, the notion of AI being the autopilot, understanding the business enough to make decisions on behalf of the owner and perhaps even execute the decision on behalf of the owner. So the owner can focus more on customer relations, more on the art of running the business than the science of running the business. I think that is sort of the ultimate expression of AI and what AI can do in business for business in general uh, and for MarTech in particular. That's interesting. You know, it's uh, certainly, you know, goes back to the operational efficiency, right? Of the, If they could do the everyday tasks for you, similar like you mentioned earlier about the invention of electricity and how simple tasks of keeping the lights on have become a non-issue. It's just a matter of turning things on, running things concordantly, and then you're off spending your time doing other things to help build and grow the business, help capitalism keep growing like it has been for the past hundred years <laughs> at this organization. But tell me a little more about how AI has helped analytics in the analytics space, maybe helping companies forecast better or develop a better go-to-market strategy with those trends and patterns give them that compass, that direction, the future. Can you talk a little more about that from your experience? Yeah, certainly. For the past three years or so, I've been, I've spent building products or projects that leverage analytics and AI in different capacities to deliver insights to various stakeholders. This includes insights to end customer as well as insights to internal business stakeholders, like the folks running sales or running business operations or the folks who own go-to-market strategy, for example. Uh, so from that perspective, what I've learned is that the state where AI is has evolved too correctly lends itself well to, to take on the co-pilot persona 
in the sense that helping users wade through data that would be otherwise challenging to wade through manually and look for not needle in a haystack because needle in a haystack is actually not the right analogy. Well, because all you need is a magnet to get a needle from a haystack. But what AI can do is identify a particular type of hay in a haystack, which is incredibly, incredibly hard to do, even with advanced analytical technologies that we used to have five, seven, 10 years ago. But as a either as a market professional or an e-commerce professional. Today, it becomes really, really important to understand how the business is uh, evolving on a daily basis, where the business is heading, and what type of changes we need to do in the way we are running our business to be able to achieve our goals. And more importantly, are our goals realistic? The world is changing so rapidly that it's almost impossible to set a 12-month goal or an 18-month goal and not to see that change. The changes that are, are so rapid and there's so much flux, especially in the last 24 months. In such an environment, we all are focused on running the business so that we don't necessarily have the, 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 the mental, emotional capacity and bandwidth to frequently sort of take a step back and recalibrate the goals that we are marching towards. Case in point, from a MarTech perspective, Social media customer acquisition costs have been extensively, significantly volatile in the last eight months. And the fluctuations are, are, are ridiculous. The amount of money someone used to spend, the, the, the CAC numbers of some of the online marketers have, have risen drastically. That if you made an annual plan, chances are within the next six months, those annual plans are completely irrelevant because CAC numbers have changed. So in that context, um, we, what do we do? We all have limited time. Do we run the business or we take a step back and refine the goal? If you were to refine the goal, what should be the refined, what should the refined goal be? These are all hard questions to answer, complex questions to answer, lots of data to muddle through. And even if we muddle through, we don't know if we missed something before we get to our answer to the final question. If AI is leveraged in the right way, and, and that's a big if, because there's so many different ways AI can be not misused intentionally, but underused or, or, or used in, in a way that does not align itself well to the goal, then AI technologies can actually help us revisit the goal in a very fluid manner. There are forecasting tools out there, and, and certainly there are the, the one technology stack that I can speak to confidently is the Salesforce Einstein stack in the commerce cloud world. And these these technological stacks have have so much um, have have so much sophistication built in that they are very successful in abstracting away all the complexity of dealing with loads and loads of data and helping the user identify that one type of hay in a large haystack and surfacing it and, and surfacing that and saying, hey, this one little thing has changed. And because of this, you may want to rethink all these other things that depend on this one thing. For example, if your Facebook CAC went up by 10%, what does that mean to your overall marketing mix model, right? So that is something that a good AI system should be able to surface. So and there are systems out there that do that today in, mm -hmm. a, in a really good way that help a, a marketer to understand and deal with this constant flux that we're living in these days. And the only way to deal with the flux and, and keep your sanity is let someone else, let someone, let a, a thing that is hopefully working unbiased help you figure out how to deal with this flux so that you can 
focus your attention on the execution of those decisions and perhaps the, the things that are more on the art side of running the business and let AI do the science of running the business. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I use that analogy a lot, the, the art and science of using data within sales and marketing. And we're seeing that a lot now in our own business, uh, having the only B2B DSP in the marketplace today and, and the sensitivity of where we are in the economy. A lot of customers are cutting back, right, on ads, digital advertisements, but they don't know where to cut back, right? They want to double mm-hmm. down. They know that's the way to reach in this digital economy, their, their customers, their prospects. But when it's time to cut back, you still need to grow your revenue. So where do you cut back and, and where do you like double down on your best customers? And how do you know they're their best customers? So using data and AI to do the science part of who is in market, who's got high propensity as a customer, and then combining that with the art of what you know, um, where your where your salespeople's relationships are, you know, where marketing's had the most success. And combining those two things to kind of double down on the, you know, in a tough envi- economic environment, double down to get that biggest yield for your buck in social media or, you know, digital advertisements. And we're seeing a lot of that today. That's interesting because I think there's one other thing that's happening in that space that is probably emerging. And it's an interesting scenario where the technologies that are, that are, that have been traditionally used to acquire new customers are being leveraged as a retention place. Mm-hmm. As in, this I'm sure is happening in your customer base, especially this is true in the DSP world, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Because you drive the your customers to understand their customers better through the technologies that you deliver. And they're able to target, and they, and they are today, predominantly, they're using that technology to be able to target and build a more nurtured relationship with and identifying the right prospects, valuing the prospects through the funnel, converting them, and that's it. However, with all this flux happening, what I'm also seeing, I would love to get your thoughts on this, I'm also seeing the same concept and the same constructs, perhaps the same technological underpinnings being used after post-funnel to nurture, to understand the customer, to nurture that relationship further. Because today we know that, depending on the literature you read, New customer acquisition is is five x the cost of retaining an existing customer, right? And Bingo. retaining an existing yep. customer is obviously more profitable for a business. So the yep. same technology that delivers a better understanding of the customer at the top of the funnel can be leveraged and used at the bottom of the funnel and beyond post funnel to nurture, to retain, or to improve and increase the lifetime value of that customer and repeat purchase frequency of the customer, and so on and so forth. Is that something that you're seeing too? Big time, especially now, and you you hit the nail on the head by the cost, 5X cost statistic of getting a new customer. And in tough economic times, right, you tried to do more with less. So it's even more critical now to reduce churn, retain the customers you have, and grow the customers you have with the existing resources as opposed to hiring new resources and spending a lot more in marketing to get one new customer in, it, in an acquisition capacity. So absolutely, that's a big part of kind of doubling down on your existing customers, nurturing them better, serving them better and how can we grow our existing customer base to maintain that we still have to grow the business doesn't matter what's going on outside of the world you still have to keep the lights on and grow the business so that seems you know to be the best way to kind of maximize your results is focus on your existing customers combine that art and science of what you know about them and what the data is telling you to kind of drive your execution you know and and minimize the costly acquisition 
um, to just the low hanging fruit that, you know, has the best opportunity at highest propensity to kind of become a customer in today's, you know, environment. So absolutely. We're seeing a lot of that. Yeah. And that's a good, that's a good thing. I think because we've been so obsessed with new customer acquisition that especially in the marketing realm, it depends on how the organization is structured, but in the marketing realm, some organizations pawn off the, the notion of once you get the customer with someone else's problem to nurture and, and develop those mm-hmm. relationships. But that's not true. I mean, if you're the, you, you are the tip of the spear in, in speaking, expressing your brand and acquiring, interacting with a prospect to help them convert into a customer, then you have the best sort of pole position to also be the tip of the spear in nurturing that relationship. And improving that relationship with the customer so that the organization can benefit from improved and increased stickiness between the customer and the company. Like as an account exec, an account exec who is, is trying to get the customer's business is also sort of the person who is nurturing the relationship as the customer's business sort of develops and evolves and the, and the relationship between the customer and the business develops further. And let's not forget the most the most powerful marketing tool, right? Word of mouth and referrals. So by taking care of your existing customers and making them happy and growing those customers organically is going to result in new customers. Uh, By ignoring that and just continuing to churn new customer acquisition, you're constantly spending money and yielding less results. So that's another thing I think that is forgotten in that marketing world. With AI and, and, you know, the changes in analytics and data today, there's a lot of ways you can help identify and, and maintain and reduce churn in your customer base. So that you guys work smarter, not harder, right? That's kind of what we try to focus on is kind of smarter account intelligence for go-to-market strategy. It's kind of our mission at the man base. So. Yeah, yeah. A- analytics and, and AI, when used in conjunction, can be very powerful in the sense a- a- analytics can... Do two, analytics when used in conjunction with AI can do two things. It can give you a better, more informed view of what just happened in your business, the rear view mirror view, and a more nuanced, qualified view of what might happen if things progress the way they are progressing. So that's the, the windshield view of, yes. of looking ahead. And we we used these things to varying degrees of success in the past. Uh, obviously, the the surfacing of insights, given how our go to market strategies have performed in the field, is certainly one area where this has helped. In terms of trying to get a better understanding of the strategies that we decided at the beginning of the year and executed in the field, how effective have they been? And it's not that the answer to the question may not actually it sounds simple, but it's actually maybe a little more complex because the question itself is nuanced. Um, especially for a global organization that has a go-to-market strategy that is global in nature, does that strategy perform differently uh, across different regions? And if you are, as a customer base, you are serving multiple verticals, is that performing differently across different verticals? So just within region and vertical, not considering other attributes like size of the customer, business model, and so on and so forth, just across these two vectors, you get you might get a different sense of how that go-to-market strategy is being successful. Now, if you add in all those other variables, like say, the customer, their business model, the longevity of the relationship, and so on and so forth, now you start to see how complicated it is to wade through all these variables to get a sense of, okay, how did we actually do 
in the past X number of months? And that's right. a hard question to answer. This is where analytics in conjunction with AI can help provide a better, more informed answer to business leaders about what just happened. And we've used that uh, to varying degrees of success. And I'm, these are the like, real use cases here that have helped business unit leaders to really understand and make fine-tune their strategies moving forward. And what a perfect year to do that and test that, right? Because the windshield right now looks very different than what it looked like in January of this year. So this is this is a very interesting year from January to middle year and age two for these companies. Kind of how do they pivot and maybe potentially change based on what they've learned and forward-looking kind of what does the analytics and data tell them moving forward to approach this kind of murky water, so to speak, over the next few months or yeah. a year. And and by the by the same token, AI is not it's all not rainbows and unicorns at the end of the day. Because certain circumstances cannot be predicted. Like COVID as an event, no AI models could have predicted that. The situation of the economy, the the trends in inflation, maybe perhaps some models could have been able to predict that. I'm not sure. But these are these are unforeseen, ad hoc, rare events that sometimes escape these models. So one of the things that we should always acknowledge is the risks of using AI. Because there are still risks. Because the technology is still not as mature as electricity. You can't really just plug in a device and automatically expect power to come out of that outlet. Today, you see an outlet, you plug something in, 9 out of 10 times, there's power there. But AI as, as technology is not there yet. There are still some risks, some challenges. And one of the challenges is, is this, this concept of navigating rare events, things that the AI model has not seen, has not dealt with. So it does not have knowledge of, so it does not know how to deal with those events. And that is a risk. Not to say that technology hasn't, is not going to evolve and it's a, it's a big black unknown. That's not to be the case, but. It's going to still require a lot of evolution of the technology for us to get to a stage where even those circumstances and variables can be taken into consideration when AI influences business decisions on a regular basis. So that's one of the risks that are out there that I think we should acknowledge and talk about because that's a risk, but that's also an opportunity for the technology to evolve and solve for. It's a great point. Absolutely. And, you know, I don't, what we've gone through the past couple of years, I don't think the human mind and, you know, our thought process was able to understand and handle this as well. So it's, uh, I think in learning in both the art, the science and, you know, the human piece and the AI piece <laughs> as we move forward. And it, it, it'll be interesting to see how we evolve in this, let's call new world, you know, that we live in. So from both the machine learning and AI's side, as well as the human element side. So different environment. Uh, yep. but, but one thing has always held constant. We, you know, are world knows how to adapt. So I'm sure we'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah, the human optimism. Yes. 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 But hey, this has been a great conversation and I, I really appreciate your time on the call today. Is there any resource that you would recommend, you know, relating to our conversation today of AI and analytics that you would kind of, you know, refer our audience to around well, this? Well, there are a couple of books that I, that I've liked a lot and uh, that have informed my thinking and influenced my thinking considerably. Common authors from MIT, so maybe the location has something to do with that, I know. Uh, one is uh, called uh, Machine Platform and Crowds, and the other is called uh, More From Less. Now, the, f the first one talks about 
the evolution of technology from products to platforms and what's going to happen in the future, some prognostication there. So it's a very technology-centric, AI, machine learning-centric thesis of how, given what has happened, what can we expect in the future? So that's a good frame of reference to understand, irrespective of whether you're working MarTech, EcomTech, FinTech, HealthTech, doesn't matter. It's a good sort of grounding in this subject matter without getting into the technical details of the underpinnings of AI. So it's a great surface level book. I love more from less because more from less is a counter argument to the doom and gloom dystopian future that most authors talk about. And most people talk about the fact that if we were to forecast and speculate the future and just draw a trend line of where things are today to where things go in the future, we are going heading towards a future where it's all doom and gloom. It's all very black mirror and uh, it's all very Mad Max. But more from less actually argues the opposite and it argues the opposite with data with with objective statistics behind it to to drive home the point that things look a little dicey, but it's actually not all doom and gloom as others talk about. And here's why. So it's a it that is a good frame of reference because people who work in AI will eventually encounter the the issue of but what about Terminator? What about Skynet <laughs> uh scenario? Yeah. Uh well so the, the book more and less more from less is a good grounding to how to think about what the counter is. So those are the two books I would definitely recommend. Non-technical, but very data oriented. So there's no subjectiveness in it. All data sources can be vetted because most of them are from public domain. So both are very good books to talk to sort of ground yourself in in AI, machine learning and all those all the related aspects. Obviously, I tweet about these things. So my uh, Twitter handle is Vinod is reading. If these two book recommendations weren't a hint, I read a lot and I, and I tweet about what I read. So Vinod is reading is my Twitter handle. And I'm also as active as I can be on LinkedIn in posting content in this subject matter. At, in this subject matter, as well as small businesses, because these are the two ages of passion that I have. And so I'm happy to, if any of your audience members have any questions, I'm actually happy to take questions as direct messages on LinkedIn. Perfect. Okay, great. So Twitter, LinkedIn, best ways to reach you. And yes. more from last sounds like an interesting, I think I might have to take a peek at that read over the 4th of July break. But it is an, it is an easy read. It's yeah. not dense. It's not, it's an easy read. I'll shoot you a LinkedIn when I'm done and confirm that. <laughs> sounds good, Karen. All right, Vinod. Again, thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it and um, have a great day. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunny Side Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demandbase TV. 